You know, when we come expecting, that's the thing, right? Obviously, we, we, we come and, you know, we love the fellowship of the saints. But we come to bring honor and sacrifice and glory to God. That, that, is, that is what it's about. And, and you know, we, we don't come for, for nobody else. You know, we come so, as has been said, so we can be made right with the Lord, so that we may seek His righteousness and we may receive the many blessings that He has for us, and then in turn we can go out and we can share that truth of Christ with other people. I'll keep saying it because I can't get it out of my head and my heart. But he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. In no other time more so in history do we need to really hear clearly from the Spirit of God. There are so many different voices on every front, on every corner, trying to talk to you and tell you what's going on. But you and I, as the church, as saints of God, must need to hear clearly from the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I was in a devotion this morning, and uh, it was great. I was reminded of golden bells and pomegranates. Some of you may be familiar with that term, and some of you may not be. Well, what that was, uh, there was an order for the priest of Israel, Aaron was uh, was directed to this, that, that his garment, that the hem of his garment, there would be golden bells kind of like attached to it, and, and, and pomegranates. And, and what this symbolizes is the bells would be heard. And that, that's, that's our witness as far as our voice that we would have voices that represent pure speech, that as we speak, we live above reproach. But it's not just enough to live above reproach in what we say. The pomegranates represented the fruit of the Spirit, actual tangible evidence that our lives are in accordance with God, with the Holy Spirit, and what He wants for us. And what I got out of that devotion was, you see, church, you and I must continue to walk in Christ and develop balance. Balance. We need balance. Because so many times we talk a good game and we're always witnessing the people, but then our lives do not reflect what we profess. And then when people see our lives or see us in secret, integrity is what you do when no one's looking. So if I'm over here professing Christ, but I'm on my computer at home watching pornography, should I be sitting and standing in the pulpit teaching? But so many times these kind of things happen, or I'm lying on my taxes, but I tell people, praise God. He says it's a shame. Blessing and cursing out of the same mouth it should never be. And on the other hand, there's others that do great work for the Lord. But they don't open their mouths for Christ. They don't say, this is done in the name of Jesus for fear of, uh, 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 of being ostracized by their, their co-workers or by their boss or by their friends and their family. You see, we need a healthy balance. And that's what uh, the golden bells and the pomegranates represent. So today I pray, not only for myself, but for you as well, that we would learn to walk in, in, in the unwavering balance of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because that way we can, we, we can have it all. <laughs> and then we truly live a life that is above reproach. You see, uh, I, gotta share, I just got to share this. The Lord showed this to me earlier this week and it's been sitting now. We want to be persecuted church 
for righteousness. <laughs> we don't want to be persecuted because, you know, we're standing on the corner saying, you're going to go to hell with a big ticket sign. And we're, there's so much meanness in our face that the fans don't want to approach us because they're like, it's a mess. But, but you want to be persecuted because they can't find any fault in you. And they hate it. <laughs> they hate the purity that you're living by because instead of fighting and flipping off your enemy, you say, I'm going to pray for you. I love you, brother. And, and, and I care for you. So I was convicted, you know, I talked a lot of smack about uh, the leadership of this country. And the Lord showed me, pray for Kamala Harris. Pray for Joe Biden. It's not my, the Lord allowed a woman to become vice president. It is what it is. Whether that's judgment on this country or not, I still need, I'm commanded to pray for the leadership of this country. You see, we, we do too much complaining and criticizing, but we're not on our knees praying for this government. So how is America going to change? And by the way, America is not on the timetable of any end time thing. It's all about Israel. So all those people that are stuck on America, America, I'm so grateful for this country. I'm so grateful for the privileges we have in this country. But again, we have to get our mindset back to uh, it starts with Israel, the true Israel, and we as Gentiles, we deceive that. They are the mother church. We pray for them. But again, pray for the leadership of this country. Pray for the leadership of all the nations. Pray that the Palestinian people get saved. Pray for the, 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 the nuts that are trying to, that are launching off missiles and one of those people is going to get convicted and they're going to get saved. You know, that these groups, that these jihadist groups are going to turn from, from worshiping a false god, which is really Satan, and that they would turn to the true living God. That's what we need, church. That, that's how we should be known as a church. Not because we're, we're, we're always criticizing and critical of everyone. With that, this is a heavy message uh, we're going to get into this morning, but it's important that we get into it because every believer is going to go through it. Uh, we're going to be in James chapter 5 this morning. We're going to be in verses 7 down through 12. And this message is entitled, Patience in Suffering. Oh, man, why did I come to church this morning? <laughs> Patience in Suffering? I don't want to hear that. I want to hear something that makes so good. But remember, we must endure sound doctrine church because in the last days, People are going to heap up for themselves teachers that say whatever they want, that tickles their fancy because they got itchy ears, and they don't want to endure stuff like this. So with that, if you can stand, please stand for the reading of God's Word, and we'll be in our text this morning. Once again, James chapter 5, verses 7 down through 12, and it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be your yes and your no be your no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you again for uh, the timeliness of your word. You know exactly what we need when we need it. And Father, I just pray that you would uh, just give us again the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to rightfully divide this word that you've implanted in us and show us your, your uh, resurrection power. Show us Christ in this. Show us how, how Jesus permeates this text and how uh, you want us to uh, copy Christ. You want us to emulate him. You want us to reflect all of these attributes. Help us, Lord, to live a life that is established in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, we had a great time last week as Pastor Nick uh, came up and, and, and taught. It was, it was good. It was good for me to sit and enjoy some great teaching. I love sitting under uh, solid teaching. I love sitting and, and soaking up God's Word. Um, I enjoy preaching, but, but, but I, I really, I mean, every day, all day, throughout the day, I'm listening to messages. I'm in the Word. Um, I, I just love hearing sound teaching because it just fires me up. It gets me so inspired to keep going and press on. But this morning, we're, we're diving right back into James chapter 5. And this section is all about developing steadfast patience in times of suffering. It's all about establishing our hearts in Christ and being about our words, being about what we say. But let's keep it real. <laughs> Patience and suffering are two areas we try to avoid like the plague. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about patience. Nobody wants to talk about suffering. I mean, just, just think about this analogy, right? We're born into this world. Everyone's born, right? We were born at one point. We were, we were infants at one point. And we were, when we were infants, we absolutely had no patience whatsoever. You see, even though this newborn baby, and I've had the privilege of, of, of cutting two umbilical cords and holding these precious ones in, in my hand, even though they're the cutest thing on the earth, he or she is a ticking time bomb. These infant babies. You see, when it's time to, to eat or be changed, if it doesn't happen immediately, they're going into a full-on cry mode. They, a, a crying fit, if you will. You know, uh, when, when Kalos was born, you know, he had issues, you know, suckling and all that, and so they thought he had jaundice and this and that. His kid was losing weight. That was crazy. That was so stressful. Uh, you know, we were supposed to be out in like 48 hours. We, we spent our first week in the hospital, and uh, I just remember his little voice crying because, I mean, it was to the point where we had like a little little tablespoon, you know, and, and he was having to drink the milk out of the, t- I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. But these newborns, they, they, they will cry frantically if they're not fed and they're not changed. And, and I get it. They're, they're newborns, and they need to grow and learn and develop patience in those areas. Well, the same can be said about us spiritually. As newborn babes in Christ Jesus, we will find that we have little to no patience. And, and let me just say, if you're thinking to yourself, that ain't me, you're probably the one that needs the most growth in, <laughs> in patience. You see, as we get along further in our walk with Jesus, there should be 
a supernatural growth in us of patience. It, it, it should start to, to manifest itself in our lives. But here's the kicker. What type of situation do you think patience is developed in? Like, what kind of situation? Is, is it when all your bills are paid and, 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 and your kids are just being obedient as can be, and uh, you know you're getting along with everybody in your family, and uh, you know everything's all, all your ducks are in a row. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. But patience is, is birthed and grown in the difficulties of life, in the sufferings of life, is where godly patience is. Develop. I have a disclaimer before I go any further, just so um, we don't you know, sit up here and, and beat ourselves up. So that's, that's not what this message is about. I pray that you do not go down that road and allow Satan to, to, to tilt your thinking and think that you, know, you need to feel bad about yourself for whatever position you're in currently or whatever you've done in the past. The reality is, the Lord is not looking for you and I to be perfect in this area. But He is looking for us to be continually growing. Day by day, you and I should be growing. And you and I are the only ones that can truly assess where we're at with the Lord. Where we're at with the things of the Lord in our lives. You have to be honest with yourself and be like, Okay, I'm lacking in this area and I need to get on it again and get right with the Lord and, and go harder with Him. Or maybe you're in a season where you are going hard for Christ and you see the growth and that's a beautiful thing. But either way, we have to be honest with ourselves or else, you know, it's just going to be a mirage. We're going to be deceived into thinking that, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're better off than we were, but maybe we're not. Maybe we're just saved by the skin of our teeth and you don't want to be that person. That just barely gets into heaven <laughs> and all your work burn up. You want to be that person that's like, nah, man, I did these things for you and I did these things in your name and they were noble and they were honorable and they go through the refinest fire and you'll have many blessings in heaven with yourself. You see, as long as Jesus Christ alone is your anchor and your, navig- your navigator, aka the one who establishes your heart. You'll be on your way to developing godly patience in the midst of suffering. And I know many of you can attest to that. You've walked through those fires, those, those fiery trials already in your lives. All right, we have several main points. And the first one is this the Bible commands us to be patient until Jesus Christ returns. <laughs> this is an obligation. If you call yourself a, a born-again believer in Christ, this is not a suggestion. He says, I command you to be patient until my son returns. Throughout the 66 books of the Bible, patience is mentioned nearly 70 times. In our text this morning alone, it's mentioned, I think, at least three times in the first several verses. So I think it's something of importance when we see it over and over and over again. You see, so godly patience is a big deal. The fourth fruit of the Spirit is patience itself. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, 
described for us the fruit of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. The definition of godly patience is this. Patience implies suffering. It implies suffering. So suffering goes hand in hand with patience. You can't say you have patience and you're not suffering. <laughs> you can't. It's just enduring or waiting as a determination of the will. Right? So our will needs to be such in alignment with Christ that we are willing to suffer long for His sake. You see, in our neck of the woods, we may not be being persecuted where our heads are being chopped off. You say, everybody's just praying the hat. I don't want to be killed. I don't want to be martyred. But do, do we know that in, in, in the last couple thousand years, there's been more martyrs, more and more than ever before, you know, way back in Bible times. So, so it, it, it happens. It just doesn't happen in this part of the world right now, as of yet. But you still may be facing some form of persecution in the communities you live in, whether it's psychological, emotional, mental. Uh, obviously, everything has its root in the spirit world. But you're going to go through some form of suffering for Christ. The Bible is clear that you and I will drink from his cup of suffering if we are, in fact, his chosen children. There's no way around it. Patience implies suffering. You see, patience, patiently enduring suffering in this lifetime, is an essential Christian virtue. We need to wait patiently to endure uncomplainingly the various forms of suffering, wrongs, and evils that we need. And now I know you're asking, even though you're not saying it. Well, how do we do this? I get all this, but show me practically how I can apply this to my life so I can endure well. What's well, found in Psalm chapter 37, verse 7. The Word says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. You see, it's clear cut right there. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Not try to think up some plan and get yourself out of the situation and go, you know, on your own road. That's what happened to Moses back in the day. He wanted vengeance for, for God's people, and he, and, and he saw that Egyptian, and he slew him. He slew him, and he buried him in the sand. That wasn't the time. God was, no, that's not the time. These, we heard this last week. Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do. But all he knew was, I'm about to be still. I'm going to keep my eyes on the God of Israel, and I know that he's going to do something. He's going to work. And many times in our lives, we need to just, and be still before God. That's so hard for us to do. People have so many different things going on in their lives, and, and, and it's like, turn off the phone, unless you're listening to worship music. Turn off all these things. Unplug from thinking you've got to be everywhere. That's what I'm learning. The Lord's like, I don't want you everywhere. I'm not calling you to do that. 
sit and be still. You know, the best thing, husbands, for your family, for your wives, is to sit and be still before the Lord. Because then the Lord is going to show you all these things that He wants to gut out of you and what He wants you to do so how you can live and be the right spiritual leader for your family. And the same thing for wives. Sit and be still. So many times we get started, we got to do, do, do. In the ministry, do, do, do. There's seasons for doing and there's seasons for sitting. Yes, this is the truth. He says, wait patiently for Him. Wait patiently for the Lord to direct your path. And don't be envious of these evil people that seem like as if they're possible. You know, they may be possible by the world's account. But we're foreigners of this land. So we shouldn't be basing our belief system and our value system based on what other people are doing, especially if they're not saved. We shouldn't. <laughs> we shouldn't. But we fall into that trap. I fall into that trap. I'm like, Lord, clean my heart. <laughs> Give me the right mind to think clearly. I don't want to gauge my life's value based on what is going on around me. Because you tell me what to do and how to do it. You see, from the moment we give our lives to Jesus until He either calls us home or He returns, whichever comes first, we are to continue to grow, developing more and more patience, enduring, and suffering. And those of you that have young children who have had young children, I think grandparents, you're off the hook now because now you can see them all kind of children in their home. <laughs> but for those of you that are parents that are, you know, dealing with adolescents or teenage kids, you know what it is to suffer. Because we're all wayward. <laughs> we're naturally wayward. I love my daughter, Teresa. I love my son, Taylor. Man, but they're natural born sinners. That's why it has to be a regiment of like, man, look, we're training you up in the way you should go. When you reach the age of accountability, now it's on you. But the Bible is clear. I'm holding on to that promise that he says you train up a child in the way they should go. And then when they get older, they're not going to depart from it. But man, sometimes it's a pain. Sometimes it's a hassle. <laughs> but that's the Lord doing me in patience. Grow in your patience, son. Grow in your patience with your children. And when you start to see that, you start to, I don't want to say you enjoy the hard times, but you understand it's all worth something. And so you put in the effort because you're like, you know what, I need to see you. And that's the same thing with the church. You know, we may not see people getting saved every week. We may not see a new person come in, but every couple months or so, and maybe they're not consistent when they do come. But if we really believe that one soul is worth so much to the Lord, then that one person is so worth it. The Bible says he believes the ninety-nine to go after the one that's wayward. So think about that the next time you engage with someone. The one person. Maybe that's the one person that might, you know, for the Lord, turn this world upside down in, in these later days. And do such a mighty work. And you had a part to say in that because you're obedient to the Lord. The second main point is this. In order to remain patient or steadfast in the midst of our suffering, we must establish our hearts in Christ Jesus. There is no other way to do it. You and I are not going to be patient in the midst of our suffering if our hearts are not established in Christ. You see, success in the Christian life requires keeping the mindset of not a short-distance sprinter, but of a marathon runner, especially in challenging times. 
I mean, you can't be like Carl Lewis and think you're going to run the race long. Yeah, in short distances, that's cool. But no, you same boat's going to cut it when you're trying to go across country. When you're going long distances, you need to have that steadfastness in you to be able to keep going. Strength, stamina, and patient endurance are needed to go the distance as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why some people fall away. They start off with such zeal and they're so hungry and they're so ready and they're put me in. Put me in. I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to evangelize. I'm ready to do all these things. And then two and a half years later, you're like, bro, what? Why are you smoking pot, dog? Why are you at the bar, bro? What are you doing? I've seen you at the Giants game, bro. Why are you sipping all them beers? Oh, man, no. Uh, what about the ministry? And you was like, no doubt. Yeah, because you, you went so hard, but you didn't count the cost. We need to count the cost. That's what I'm talking about. When the Lord says, be still. If he doesn't tear you down to build you up, to equip you, and for you to get discipled properly, you will fizzle out. That's why I love old times. Anybody that's got a full head of gray hair or a gray beard, and they're still serving the Lord, that's a testament to not only God's faithfulness, but them walking the court. They didn't sit out. They didn't fall away. Cats younger than me falling out had a, such an anointing on their lives. You know, because the, the, the Lord doesn't revoke gifts, but we got to understand the anointing is revocable. If, if you go pull a Samson, just like his hair was cut off, you're, you're, you're going to lose that anointing for a season. But the good thing is, just like Samson, he repented. Even though his eyes were gorged out of his face, the anointing came back, it carried you back, and he was able to tear down, break down those pillars and all those, all those wicked people died. He died with them, but that's a consequence of sin. Right? So, I'm just trying to point out, <laughs> we, we need that steadfast endurance. I think of it like boxing. I didn't, I didn't get to watch it. I would have done play pay-per-view, but I did want to see the Roman Franco hanging fight. I didn't see it. Don't tell me if you know who won. I'm going to check Bleacher Report later today. But I think of boxing, right? Twelve rounds of brutal physical warfare. For us in the spirit world, every day you and I are in a 12-round match going toe-to-toe with our adversary Satan. Even if you don't believe you are, you are. <laughs> You are. You're in a warfare. And he hates your guts and he, he can't take away your salvation, but he wants to render you useless and miserable in your relationship with Christ. Don't let that be, sir. You see, if we don't establish our hearts in Jesus Christ, you and I spiritually are going to get knocked out. That's why you see Christians walking around mopey and gropey and groaning and grumbling and complaining and not strong. You should be swole for Christ in your spirit. I mean, you should be walking with so much confidence. I'm not saying arrogance. There should be a confidence about you because the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the grave lives in you. If you don't recognize that, you need to spend more time with Christ. You need to spend more time fellowshipping with Him in the Word. You need to spend more time at His feet. You need to spend more time being still before God. And you will get infused with a supernatural power that cannot be taken or shaken from you. Why is the church so weak? 
We should not be weak in that regard. Yes, we are weak apart from Christ, but in Christ we are more than conquerors. That's what we talk about every week in this church. We need to be aware of what we're coming into agreement with. When you come into agreement with unclean demonic influences, don't be surprised when your walk is weak. But when you're coming to a, in agreement with the Word of God, with the Word of truth, with what the Word says, then you become powerful. You get the supernatural anointing of God upon your life, and Satan shrieks at that. Darkness has to flee. These demons have to go. There is such thing as casting out demonic spirits. You can't bind those things. You can't bind them. You can't. You definitely can't bind Satan, but you can cast out demonic spirits. They don't want nothing to do with the holiness of God. Have you ever been in a situation where you walk into a room and people just start getting funky? Or they start kind of calming down? Or they just, you know, it's almost like roaches. They, they were a certain way, and then you come in the room, and they kind of just, they're not touching no more. Yeah. I, I, I had that happen. Me and Eric were talking about the, uh, the other day. <laughs> well, co-workers, you know, walking with some younger women and talking and then touches and, and tells me, I'm sorry. I said, that's on you, right? I mean, what what did you find for me for? But you see, it's the Holy Spirit living in me that made that person uncomfortable. Right? Because they, you, your sin will find you out and the sin found him out. I didn't say nothing to him. He's the last thing on my mind. I'm trying to go to my car and get home. I got X, Y, and Z to do. That's where I'm at, you know? And he, but he said, I'm sorry. And I'm sure you've experienced that too. It's because of something of life. Darkness. It can't, it can't tolerate it. It can't tolerate the light, the true light of Christ. You see, an established heart is ready for anything that it will face in suffering. We are to stand firm and let nothing move us. I'm not saying it's easy, but what I'm saying is with the power of God resting in your life and upon you, it can be done. You see, we need to determine with our whole hearts to pursue a lifestyle of persistent devotion as we serve the Lord. We're soldiers in the Lord's army. What soldier is worth his salt or her salt if you come to the warfare ground unprepared? If you're not trained, if you're not equipped, you're going to get whooped up. But you will defeat every enemy that you face if you are equipped. Equip yourself, church. You have to. I have to. You can't count on no one else to do it. You need to purpose in your heart and your mind. I'm going to get in this book. I'm going to get in this book every day. If you get in this book every day, I guarantee you you're going to see continued victory in your life. If you neglect this book, that's why you do not have the victory. It's as simple as that. And I'm not trying to be hard. I'm trying to encourage you. Because so many people I talk to, they're like, why is this happening? Why is that happening? I'm like, well, what's your, what's your walk look like? Are you praying, David? Are you in the world? No, I was in the world today. I'm not trying to be mean, but it's like, come on, man. It's not rocket science. If you don't water the plant, the plant's not going to grow. If we're connected to the vine and we're the branches, water yourself with the Word. Wash yourself in the Word, and you will have victory. You see, it involves a conscious effort on our part. The reality is a lot of times we just spiritually lazy. I just keep it real. The same thing like exercising, uh, working out, eating right. I'm going through all those things right now. Where it's like, 
I had to change my diet. You know? Uh, doctor's like, hey man, these things are correct, correctable. Do something about it. My wife ain't going to do it. My kids ain't going to do it. I don't live with my mama no more. My daddy's dead. I need to do it. I need to take responsibility, be accountable, and do something to change my life. That's what we need to do. I'm not saying we're saved by good works, church. I'm saying there is a partnership in our relationship with Christ. We need to stop thinking that He's just in the sky doing everything. He's waiting for you and I to do as well, to be moved to do. You see, an established heart is one rooted and grounded in the things of God. A person who has invested time with God in the Word and prayer receives an inner strength from the Holy Spirit that neither time nor circumstances can weaken. That's such a beautiful promise. Ephesians chapter uh, 3 verse 16 tells us that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. I mean, the promise is right there. He says, man, the riches of His glory, He's going to make you so swole in your spirit. And you're going to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lee Haynes combined. You're going to be swole in the spirit, your inner being, your inner... That's what I'm, tell, I'm telling y'all. I know y'all see it. I see some older people. And they may look, look, they look like on the outside, but they have such a vigor about their spirit. Why? Because their inner man or their inner woman is being strengthened daily. And they are so riding hard for Christ because they're being renewed by the glory of God according to His riches. They're strengthened. And they're, they're, not, they're not taken off the path because they're staying connected to Him. We establish our hearts by keeping our eyes on Jesus no matter what we face in this life. If you get nothing else from this message this morning, I know we're just barely in the intro. I go long on the intro, but got to. But keep your heart established and your eyes on Christ no matter what. All right, third main point is this. We must keep our word and what we say we'll do and what we say we won't do. Okay, this principle comes at the end of the passage, and it has much weight to it. James said, above all else. So he said, all this that I talked about, patient endurance and all this, and establish your heart in Christ. Yes, that's super important. But he said, above all else, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. You see, our character is established by what we say. But if what we say doesn't line up with what we do, then we have a serious problem. We're told out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if our hearts are filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we will speak truth along with keeping our words. But if our hearts have been, if our hearts have not been, excuse me, regenerated by God, and that they're still filled with all kind of darkness, we will say many things that seem genuine, but the end, our actions will prove different. It's like when someone says, "I swear on my mother's grave next Thursday I'm going to pay you." And Jesus said, "Don't you can't do that. You don't got to do that, man. You don't got to talk like that." For those that are in Christ. You see, dishonesty is never an option, and you don't need to give no oath. No oath is required. A simple yes or no is all that you need to say. Sometimes people allow themselves to be guilted into doing things, and then they flake out. Don't do it. If you're not going to do it, if you're not up for it, just say no. I, I can't do it. I had to say that uh, last week. I got invited to, to a party, and, you know, I was like, 
uh, it's going to be Sunday later in the day, and I'm like, man, I, I would I would like to go, but the reality is, man, you know, why two kids passing, you know, by the time we get out of here, cause I'm tired, bro. I'm not trying to take no two-hour ride to do all that, you know. Love you, man. Godspeed. <laughs> but, but I can't make it, and, and I had to say that. And, and, you know, it was like, it is what it is. I don't want to say yes, and then they make reservations and count me and my family in, and then we play. That's not right. Just be up front, you know. We are never to lead someone on, and we're never to manipulate people, not as believers in Christ. Okay, let's go ahead and get into our text now, verses 7 and 8. I'll read it again for the sake of context. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the earthly and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Okay. So we see this first statement, be patient, brethren, be patient, brothers, sisters, sisters, and be, uh, you know, understood as that. Christians especially, those enduring hardships are enduring, are encouraged, excuse me, to patiently endure until the time of the Lord. We are encouraged to do this. Just think about this for a minute. We are encouraged to endure until the Lord is returned. People say all the time, well, when is Jesus going to require us in 2,000 years? I mean, technically, if you want to say last days, last days started after Christ, you know, sent it back to heaven. So it has been a while, but he's going to return. He is going to return. You know, just look at our day and age, where we're at right now. You see, sometimes, as believers, we are extremely impatient rather than being patient when it comes to this, with the Lord's return. So many times I hear, I just want the Lord to return. I just want the Lord to come. This world is so messed up. It's so horrible. All these just heinous things that are happening. Just burn them up, Lord. Kill them and let's go home. I hear that so much. And you guys laugh because I'm sure you hear it too. Maybe you're the one saying it. Maybe turn away and the Lord just burn these people. Let's go. Save Israel, let's get out of here, man. Get me out of this place. I mean, but I get it. Look, we see wickedness daily being broadcasted all over television, all over the internet, all over media. We see it in our schools. We see it in our communities. We even see it in our own families. And we just want the Lord to return today, right now. But, oh, how constantly we need to be reminded that His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. While we're at our wit's end with this world, Yahweh is continuing to suffer long with His creation, patiently waiting for the last soul to be reconciled to Himself. That's what this is all about. Right, right? A day is but like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. So while we're here all stressing out, He's like, man, I got people that need to be saved out of eternal torment. And that's why I have not sent my son back. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's his desire. He doesn't say, bro, I, I want that crackhead to go to hell. He's like, no, I want that hooker, that base set. I want that crazy Afghan dude who wants to kill all Christians. I want them saved. I want Putin saved. I want Biden saved. I want Kamala Harris saved. I even want Newsom saved. I want the LGBTQ people saved. That's what he's saying. That's his desire. 
But we're like, now burn them. Burn them. They're not living right. Burn them. No. It's very interesting. Because we need to be ready daily for His return. And we can't live as if He's never coming back. So we must be diligent in our walk with Him. But we also must suffer long until Christ returns. You have to, I have to develop this within our core being. Because the next verse in Second Peter uh, tells us why. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and when the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see, when the Messiah returns, it's going to be swift, out of nowhere, suddenly, like a thief in the night. When a thief comes in, they're not coming in to be seen. They're coming in when everybody's asleep, they're going to creep in, tap burglar, do what he's got to do, and get out without a trace. That's what's going to happen in Christ's return. People are going to be marrying and doing all the things, carrying on like normal, and he's coming back, rapturing his church. Next, we have an example of patiently waiting. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently. You see, a farmer doesn't plant seeds and expect his crops to grow the next week. Maybe my three-year-old daughter does. <laughs> she expects it right away. This is going to happen. But, 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 but a wise farmer, someone who's seasoned in, 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 in the industry of farming, they understand that there is seasons, and they need to put the seed in the ground, and, 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 and the, the seed needs to be watered, and over time, Lord willing, the crop is going to yield, right? That plant, or that seed is going to yield something good. It's going to yield good crops. He keeps on waiting even when the crop cannot be seen at all. The same needs to be said for us, too. How many times do you and I get discouraged because we don't see the fruit of our labor? We don't see the fruit of the ministry. That's like us closing the doors because, oh, well, the seed thing passed. I was told a long time ago, do not preach to MCC. I'm not concerned with that. Do I want to see people say yes? But, but I, I know the Lord has me on a trajectory where it's like, I can only do so much. I'm only one person. I can't be running myself ragged doing X, Y, and Z. I got a young family I got to raise. That's where the body comes into play. But, 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 but we, don't, we, don't, we don't grow weary because we're not seeing certain things manifest themselves. It's in the Lord's timing. If you know you're doing the Lord's will, just be grateful in that. Embrace that. Christians must work hard and exercise patient endurance even when the harvest day seems far off. An example. Do you just give up on your family who's not walking with the Lord at the moment? Of course you don't. If you're a Christian worth your salt, of course you don't. You don't just stop I'm not praying for you no more. You're done. <laughs> you're not where I'm at right now, so okay, you don't deserve my You know, there's some Christians that think like that. And they write people off because they don't see them, you know, and it's like, you know, Scott said it the other night. If you haven't walked a mile in that man's shoes, what do you really know? What do you really know? What do I really know? We see a glimpse of a person for a moment and we make a whole judgment on them. It's like, that's faulty and sad. Intercede for them. We pray for them. Right? We keep pressing into God on their behalf. 
ultimately you and I need to endure suffering in this life because our great reward will be with Jesus himself when either he returns or we go to be with him. I love this quote from Paul Spurgeon. It says, I find that God gives me the grace to fight on and wrestle on till the victory shall come. And patience saves a man from a great deal of haste and folly. you get that? The patience that you develop in the Lord through long suffering keeps you from foolish stuff. You patiently endure. You stay the course. You go one foot after another, day after day, and you get to uncover righteous things in the Lord that some people never even experience because you're stopping to smell the roses and you're, you're in awe enamored by His goodness and His faithfulness to you in the most trying times of life. That's when the Lord is so close to us is when we can't even endure anymore. What do I, Lord, if you, if you don't tear me through this, I'm going to crack. And he's like, I'm with you, son. I'm with you, God. I'm taking you through it. I'm taking you through it. I'm with you. I'm closer to you than your own heartbeat. I'm closer to you than your own breath. Do you understand that, church? That's crazy. It's, it's hard for me to comprehend that. It needs to be a supernatural understanding for me to even get that. I'm like, wow. You know, so many times we, we live from that, that, the outside, our five senses. But we have to understand, we need to start living from the inside out. The Holy Spirit is living in us. I'm not saying pray to ourselves. What I'm saying is, when you pray, recognize that the Holy Spirit is already in you. Understand that the, the, all, the, all the spiritual blessings that God will ever give you have already been imparted to you. That's why, you see, we live in such defeat. We have not been discipled correctly. And people are looking for all these outside stories. Where's God? Where's God? No, God is in here. If you truly have said, live in my heart, I surrender and give you all authority. Your will, not my will be done. If you really confess that, then the Holy Spirit lives in you. It's not about a feeling. It's about a fact. The Bible says so. And from that, you and I need to go out and walk in that truth. You see, you don't need another conflict. You don't need more drugs. You don't need a second and third opinion. I don't care what the world says. You need more of the revelation of Jesus Christ living inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit. That is what will manifest greatness in your life. And you'll break down every wall and everything that is holding you back from becoming who you're supposed to be in Christ. That is the truth, church. You see, when we think about it, the waiting and need for endurance we have in the Christian life is very much like this farmer. You see, the farmer waits with a reasonable hope and an expectant reward. Isn't that what you're, you're doing as you live? Aren't you, aren't you expecting something good to come? Aren't you expecting to go to heaven? Aren't you expecting for the righteousness of Christ? We just sang about it. I need righteousness. Expect it. That's just like the farmer. It's a reasonable hope. He waits for a long time. Sometimes we got to wait. <laughs> I hear people all the time, no, no, I'm waiting for a wife. I'm waiting for a husband. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Maybe you go wait. Don't go take it in your own hands and you're going to marry the wrong person. Then it's mad. Man, so just do you part for real? <laughs> Why did I pick you? Because you didn't want to wait. <laughs> Remember, God brought Adam Eve. Man, you don't got to be running around looking for a wife. Live a godly life. He'll put the woman in your path. That's what happened to me and my wife. I wasn't even looking. 
I went through looking and I was having all these girlfriends and there was like the Lord kept convicting. Nope, 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 nope. And I finally stopped and all of a sudden I was at some event at Cathedral of Faith downtown and Veronica was there. Talk about we're having this outreach. Woochie Woo Woo. She was there with, uh, what's the, what's the, what's the one girl now? I remember. But anyway, she was there. She was doing some, uh, poetry to the other girl. And, uh, yeah. So anyways, whatever. Long story short, that's how that's going to be. That's just a side budget. For any of you singles, <laughs> don't go rushing looking for somebody. God will bring that person to you if you're supposed to be wed in his time. If not, take your singleness as a beautiful gift because not many men can be single and control themselves and be okay. So if you have the godliness of singleness, man, embrace it until that time comes where you will be married. Side note, just had to say it. <laughs> the farmer, he waits while working all the while. Church, we must be about our father's business. It's not enough to say I'm saved and we're not doing nothing. Like, again, we're not saved by work, but a living faith is accompanied by fruit. We, I love I love what my boy said. He said, I don't want to be that dude in the corner with the sword of the spirit and I'm just I'm just I'm just scared. I'm over here with the sword of the spirit and I'm crouched down afraid. Man, you got the living God in you. We should be working while we're waiting for Jesus to return or I die. Alright, Lord, I, I really don't want to die. I don't want I don't want to die in my sleep. But either way, Lord, let me be active while you're not here on this earth, you know, coming to rain again. Um, the farmer waits dependent on things out of his own power, with his eyes on heaven. Again, we were reminded about this last week with Jehoshaphat when in Pastor Nick talk. It's out of control. I can't control the rain. But I'm waiting, expecting that the Lord is going to do a good work. I mean, we, you know, we didn't have rain for a long time, and then they, whatever, atmospheric river, I don't know. It's but supposedly that's what it was, and we got a heavy dose of it. It's sad that these hills are starting to get all riddled again. I like it when it looks like Ireland. But anyway, we need to wait. You know, we need to wait on his power to come upon us. Uh, the, the, the farmer waits despite challenging, uh, changing and challenging circumstances and many uncertainties. Isn't a Christian life I mean, outside of Christ? Your circumstances are always changing. So you can't base your your faith on your circumstances because you may have a big house on the hill one month and then the next month, man, you're in Section 8 housing. And that's just how the Lord allowed it. Your circumstances change. Somebody just had superior health one year and the next year it's like, man, you're on your deathbed. What in the world? I can't be moved. I can't be shaken. All things to the Lord. All glory to God in, 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 in much plenty and in, 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 in lean times. Many uncertainties in life, but Christ is a consistent thing. The farmer waits encouraged by the value of the harvest. Think about it. Again, there's not one person who repents and gives their life to Christ. You know how great your reward is going to be. And it's not about monetary reward. It's just the fact that your heavenly Father is going to be pleased with you. All I want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Come now, enter, and enjoy my rest. Man, if I get to hear that, I mean, I mean that, 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 that's, that's everything right there. And to know that it's like in, you're in the will of God and the things you're doing are in the will of God, that's the reward, is that you live with a clear conscience. I go to bed soundly at night nowadays. There was a time in my life where I didn't sleep at all because I was sleeping in. But now I'm not in that stuff no more. And it's like, 
I know horrible, crazy things are happening all the time, but I'll tell you what, I speak, I speak soundly at night. I don't take that stuff home with me. I don't take that stuff to bed with me. And when it tries to creep in, I just pray about it. And I say, Lord, I cast my cares upon you. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with the burdens of the world. I can't deal with all this craziness and pedophiles running around crazy and thinking about my kids. And I can't. I can't. Lord, I cast my cares upon you. And you should do the same. You see, the, the, the farmer waits because he really has no other option. What's your other option? What else are you going to do but trust in Christ? How have those other options worked out for your life so far? I, I just say that because I know I didn't tried every looking thing. I didn't did everything. And it all left me broken, empty, and nothing. Lonely. Ready to die. Hating life. Hating myself. Bitter. No contentment. No joy. No peace. God Almighty. Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel is the only one who can give you and me what we truly need. We need to wake up and recognize that. Press into him and leave all the other stuff alone. I'm not saying you can't watch NBA basketball. Whatever. You like NASCAR racing? Whatever. You like to go fishing? Enjoy those things. But may Christ be the only one that sits on the throne of your heart. You have no other option. Unless you're going to be one of those people that lives your best life now. How's that going to you? You see, the farmer waits because it's not good to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on time. Don't give up, even though your circumstances seem like it's never going to change. Just like a student that's studying hard, graduation finishing. You graduation finishing. It's trusting in him. He waits aware of how the seasons work. Again, there's seasons of plenty and there's seasons of need. Maybe you're in a season right now, believe and the Lord is stripped you of all kinds of things because He's trying to build you back up into the glorious creation that He's seen for you to be in eternity past. If you're in a season of sadness and fullness, well, enjoy that time. Enjoy that time. And know that <laughs> in a while you're going to go back into a storm. That's just the nature of life. We next we see, uh, we talked about the early and latter rains. This is a literal thing. This is not something, um, you know, to look into as far as, you know, people getting saved. This is actually just like when the early rains come in late October and early November, um, and then they cross in the ground, right? They plow, and then the latter rains come in April and May, um, it matures the crops. That's just what it means. The application is this. Just as a farmer had to wait for this rainfall twice a year, we also as followers of Jesus Christ must wait on Him. Even though the farmer could do nothing to bring the rain, he did not lose heart as long as he was obeying the will of God. You see, for us today, we can't force God to do anything. We cannot force His hand. But you can please with Him and just wait. <laughs> and if it's His will, He'll open that door. <laughs> and if it's not His will, He'll close that door and praise God anyhow. You'll still have what you need when you need it, how you need it. We're in that same boat. Our obedience to Jesus will keep us from losing heart and becoming discouraged. Do you understand, church, that Satan wants you discouraged? Satan wants to break the encouragement in your walk. He wants to make you feel like you're helpless and you can't do nothing and then you feel bad and then you feel guilty and then now you're not an effective witness, now you're not in his word, now you're not praying, now you're just watching ESPN for 10 hours a day. 
watching reruns of John Wayne. No, he wants you to be in that place. Well, God is trying to get you like, hey man, dust yourself off, get up, let go, let's roll. I mean, so the Bible says if we don't praise him, man, even the rocks going to cry out. He ain't going to let a rock out praise him. His creation will praise him if we keep our mouth shut. You see, but it's a heart condition. If our hearts are not established in the Lord, you're not going to be walking an upright life. And that's what leads us to uh, where we're at now. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord's at hand. You see, we need our hearts established in Him. The reward of Christ is so great that you and I really can't comprehend how truly rich we are in Him. The God of all glory who created every living being, who is in complete control over everything, has awakened our hearts to respond to the conviction of sin. That is a miracle. Do you know how many people, their consciences are seared, and they can mutilate, murder, kill, steal, and they don't feel anything? You know, I, I have a wrong comment with my wife, and I'm like, ah! You know, how many times I'm, I'm apologizing to my kids? Lost my temper, got upset, got mad. And then I gotta go apologize, man. My seven year old son. I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry the way that I talked to you. I'm sorry the way that, that I acted. It wasn't right. It wasn't called for. And I should have been having more patience. Worse on me, I'm a grown man. He's a seven year old kid. I expect him to know all these things. It took me 27 years. And I'm still not where the Lord wants me. You see? The God of all glory, He's in complete control. You see, when we turn to the one who is the catalyst of our salvation, we will receive what He has to offer. Even in our afflictions, this life and the, the things that we struggle through, they pale in comparison to the riches of His glory. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 tell us, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I'm not trying to make light of anybody that's dealing with a loved one dying, or a, a, a prodigal child that is just driving you crazy, or maybe you're in debt past your eyebrows and you don't know how you're going to get out of it. But the Bible is clear that these afflictions are momentary. So what is eternal will last forever. So you and I need to trust in the true and living God despite what our circumstances look like and hold on to His promises to get us through the difficulties of this life. The application is this. We must purpose in our minds all the righteous ways of the Lord. How do we do this? By daily giving Him the first fruits of our time. I can guarantee you this. Thing. If you and I would just give God the first 15 minutes of every morning when we wake up, sitting before the Lord, we will see a dramatic change in our thought life. How many times do I hear people say, I, I have issues with my thoughts? Well, first of all, we've got to understand biblically not all your thoughts are your thoughts. Some of them are your thoughts, 
But some of them are fiery darts from Satan because the battlefield is in your mind. If you cannot gain control and allow Christ, I should say rather, to gain control of your mind, that's why people go psycho. Because they've got demonic thoughts running through their minds because they never reigned it in, they never submitted themselves to the authority of Christ, they never submitted themselves to the authority of the Word, and so their thought life is a mess. But if you would take the first 15 minutes when you get up and give it to the Lord, I guarantee you you'll see change. Don't even talk to your spouse first. Talk to the Lord. Don't even talk to your children first. If you've got to get up earlier to do it, do it. Don't go on social media. Don't go on cable TV. Don't even go on the internet. Seek Yahweh first and you will begin to have a deeper revelation of His presence in your life as a believer. Because you have to remember, a healthy relationship is not one-sided. The time and effort that you and I put into the Lord is what you're going to get back from Him. You can't give Jesus the crumbs of your time and expect to have a deep experiential relationship with Him. You just can't. You can't give Him. You can't just be like, I got a daily verse. Okay, that's cool. Uh, that's cool. But man, it goes so much deeper than that. You can expound on one verse for eons. So if you have the one verse, go deeper than that, in that one verse. Expound on it. Spend time. Ponder. Say, well, what does this really mean to me? When you say creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit, what does that really mean? It's because a lot of us, we're, 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 we're concerned about the outward sin. But God wants your mind and your heart clean too. Fifteen minutes. I guarantee you, get in the habit. If you already are, praise God. If you haven't started, 15 minutes, just give it to Him. I guarantee you, your life will change. Your spiritual life will change. Patience in the Lord is established by a daily pursuing of Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Be thankful that the trials produce patience. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Look to Jesus. John 16, 13 says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. And He's going to give it all to you. There's been so many instances where I'm like, I don't know what to say. I mean, I have notes up here, and I do go off these notes, but a lot of times, man, I just go off. When you see me close my eyes, man, that's not even, that's the Holy Spirit for sure. He's just imparting Whatever truth he's saying to me. And that's what I'm saying. When we develop, when we cultivate this relationship with Jesus, I mean, he just brings to remembrance the things that need to be said. And sometimes we just need to be quiet. But when we don't need to be quiet, he's going to give you the words to say. So you don't have to be stressed out about what do I say to my coworker, what do I say to my, my loved one, what do I say to this person, the homeless person on the street, whatever, business person at the gas station. So what will he tell you? And you just say it. And you share it in love. And it'll work. So the coming of the Lord is at hand. There's a real sense in which the coming of the Lord was at hand in these days when James wrote this, as well as our own day today. The Bible is clear that no one knows the day or the hour of the Lord's return, but we can be certain He will return. It's foolish to think that the Creator of this world would not come back to set everything right. He's not just going to leave this place on that. He's going to clean house, He's going to do what He does, and He's going to do it on His own time when He feels the need to. Again, when he does return, it will be sudden and it will be in an instant. Revelation 22, verse 20 says, 
he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. All right, verse 9. We'll get through this. We're almost done. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing in the door. So, times of hardship, we can tend to grumble. We can tend to complain against our... This is, again, the church. We're not talking about unbelievers. <laughs> we can grumble and complain. Oh, man, murmur. You didn't do that right. What the heck is falling apart? What's going on here? But James reminds us that we cannot be grumblers and complainers in our hardship unless we're going to end up being condemned. <laughs> he says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus comes as the judge, not only to judge the world, but also to assess the faithfulness of Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So this is all saying your salvation is secure, but your work. What you've done with Jesus since you've been saved, you and I are going to give an account for it. We are. He's going to be like, man, amen, you did a great job. Or he's going to be like, well, you know, you kind of could have did a whole lot more, but, you know, I still love you. Come on, come in during my rest. I don't want to be that dude in the nosebleed, man. I'm trying to be all up in the supper, you know, at the, at the wedding feast. I want to be right there. I'm not, not, not like the whole, you know, be on his right or left hand side. I'm just saying, you don't want to just skate in. That's a boring Christian life. You're going to be bored when you come here. If you're not really in it, you're going to be like, this sucks. Oh, listen to this dude ramble on for like an hour. I thought the, I thought the message for 30 minutes. Why does this dude go for like an hour? Because I'm, the Holy Spirit's leading me. That's why. But I'm just saying, if you're not if you're not in it for real, you're real, you are gonna you're not gonna like it. But if you're in it, you're gonna be like, man, Lord, let's go. Every day, I, I thought the much. It's like every day is an adventure, and it should be. Every day is an adventure in Christ. He's got something new for you every day, and you're still here because He sees fit that there is a mighty work that He's doing in and through your life to reach other people. You and I get the privilege of sharing the greatest message ever told to people around us. That should get us so fired up. That's what we live for. That's what we live for because everything else, living for Harry Potter and the Golden State Warriors and the San Francisco 49ers and Disney on Ice, I mean, those things are cool, but that's not worth living for. Bratwurst? I mean, it's cool, but I'm not living for that. I'm not living for a T-bone steak. I'm not living for Jamba Juice. Those things are cool, right? I mean, it's just real. I'm not saying don't enjoy those things. I'm just saying, what is your passion? And your passion should be the Lord and Him developing this beautiful work in and through your life. The application is this. It is through our our patient enduring suffering that we grow in our love for the Lord and for people. Why do we have to go through suffering? I get it. I ask it all the time. And the Lord shows me, well, you got to go through suffering because then you can kind of relate to Christ. It's very more watered down because obviously we went through what no person will ever go through. But, but, but we go through suffering so that we may know Him better. Because the reality is, if we don't suffer, we can't truly say that we know Christ. John chapter 17, verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. But what does he say? To the one who sits there? No, the one who conquers. So what are you conquering? You're conquering suffering. You're conquering hardship. You're conquering all the difficulties that you go through in this life. But you've got to conquer it. I completely understand that this is not a popular message. But I'm not trying to be popular. I'm trying to remain biblical. Romans chapter 5, verses 3-5 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured onto our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I know it's a mouthful, but it's just... Alright, 10 and 11. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, the old prophets of the Old Testament, they endured all kind of hardship, yet they practiced patient endurance. And we can take them as an example. Look at Jeremiah the weeping prophet. He was <laughs> thrown in the stocks. He was thrown in the prison. He was lowered into a grimy dungeon. All these things happened to Jeremiah. I mean, 40 years he prophesied and preached and nobody repented. Talk about not seeing your fruit. He didn't see any fruit in his lifetime, yet he remained patient. I can't even imagine. preaching 40 years and the man didn't see one person repent because they were so wayward. Crazy to me. But he remained faithful. Application is this. As much as God honors and loves the prophets and believers, they're not exempt from affliction. So, straight up. <laughs> he loves us, but we're not exempt from affliction. We're not exempt from facing hardships and suffering. Jesus was clear the student is no greater than the teacher. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Alright, and here we see Job. This is good, because this should give you great encouragement, because Job went through it, but he came out like gold. Yeah, he came forth as gold. Let's look at three things about Job and why he was used as an example for the suffering Christian. The first thing is the perseverance of Job. You see, he refused to curse God despite his severe and mysterious suffering. Remember, his wife said, man, curse God. And he said, I will not do it. The second is the end intended by the Lord. See, the Lord wanted to use Job's suffering as a lesson to the angelic beings. That's crazy. <laughs> but that's God's way. So you don't know what you're going through. You may be going through something and the Lord has something totally different in mind of why he's allowing you to go through this craziness. Because he's trying to reveal something to the heavenly host. Who knows? And the third point is this. The Lord was very compassionate and merciful to Job. Despite all of the suffering Job went through, God was very compassionate and merciful. He only allowed suffering for a very good reason. God restricted what Satan could do and not do against Job. And he sustained Job with his unseen hand throughout all his suffering. Remember, at the end of the book... He was better off in the end. He was better in character. He was humbler. 
more humble, excuse me, he was more blessed than before. And the same can be said about you and I if we trust in Jesus Christ in the midst of our suffering. Last verse, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be your yes and let your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Do not swear. So back then, oaths that did not include the name of God, they were considered non-binding and they would be used uh, as a way of kind of like crossing your fingers behind your back and saying something to somebody you could kind of get out of it, you know. And these are the kind of oaths that James condemns here in this, in this context. Now, the Bible does not forbid the swearing of oaths, only against swearing of deceptive, unwise, or flippant oaths. I mean, when you get married, you say, <laughs> you take an oath, basically, right? That's what the whole, the whole ring is. You're like, you know what? I'm making a covenant before God. I'm making a covenant actually with God. And then I'm making a covenant with this person of flesh. And I'm saying, man, you and I, we're, we're coming together. We're going to be one. And, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, what, what he's talking about here is the things that are of deception and flippant. Even God, on occasion himself, he, he swears to oath. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, he says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to renege on what I just said. Okay, the application is this. The need to swear or make oaths beyond a simple and clear yes or no reveals the weakness of our words. It shows that there is not enough weight in one's own character to confirm their words. And the last thing we need to understand is we don't want to be, be making oaths for no reason because we don't want to fall into judgment if we don't keep it. You see, the lack of character that will be exposed, it will come at us going before the judgment seat of Christ. And this should motivate us all the more to prepare for that judgment by speaking and living with integrity. May we be those who learn to suffer well for Christ, establish our hearts in Him alone, and live a life of integrity in, the, in what we say and what we do. Amen? Let's pray. Father Davi, thank you for just the revelation of your word. Lord, you're, you're so gracious and kind to us in how you bring forth all of your truth. And, and, I, and I know that, Lord, you just desire to have us grow in such a way that we're just walking in boldness and love and in truth and in Christ all the days of our lives. So, as the word has gone forth, I, I pray that it would take a deep root in the hearts of your people, and may you not let the, the cares of this world snatch away the seed. Father, I thank you and I praise you. I pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.